Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture. We're going to be talking tonight about worshiping God in song. And before we do that, we want to take this opportunity to welcome once again all of our visitors. We appreciate so much your presence tonight. We hope that our worship service tonight will be beneficial to you and bring honor and glory to God. We're very thankful for the opportunity that we have once again to be together. And I know that we've got a lot of folks that are on the road traveling. It is that time of year when people are taking vacations. And so we want to pray for all who are traveling that they might have a safe journey to their appointed destination. Were you able to get the door open? Did you get it open? We were having, there were some problems getting the door open where the pictures are made. They got it open. And I, I said, I've never seen a door Jared couldn't get into. <laughs> he can get into anything. And Donald said that he could get into anything because he's from Detroit. <laughs> so just in the event you need a locksmith, let me tell you who to go to. Jared or Donald both can, can do it. And uh, we appreciate those who are taking pictures and appreciate the work that goes into that. We're going to be talking tonight about worshiping God in song. Over the weekend, Billy and Connie had the opportunity to attend the Diana singing over near Pulaski, Tennessee. And they said the count Friday night, about 3,000 people. And Billy had the opportunity to lead one song. And I know that must have been a thrilling event to have had the opportunity to lead so many people, probably as close to heaven as you'll get here on earth. A lot of beautiful voices and uh, those voices blending together in praise to God. I told Billy this morning, I said, one of the things that will carry, carry over to heaven is song leading. That means I'm out of a job. But Billy can go right on singing. It might be the case that in our new body, at least in my new body, maybe, I, maybe I'll be able to sing. I don't know. I can't now, but maybe one day I will be able to. Tonight I want to ask you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 in verse 16. Paul said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. As we have noted before, the emphasis in the first part of this verse is allowing God's word to richly bless our lives. It does that by finding a home in our heart. And the only way that that can come about is to spend time in study and meditation of the word of God. The psalmist in Psalm 1 at verse 2 said that his delight was in the law of Jehovah and in that law he meditated day and night. In Psalm 119, 97, again the psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. We want to be blessed by God and one of the great blessings that we enjoy from God is the opportunity to read, study, meditate, and memorize scripture. 
Teaching is obviously a part of preaching. It might be the case that we fail to appreciate the fact that in our song service we do a lot of teaching. The songs that we've had the privilege to sing together tonight have been encouraging and uplifting. And we have taught one another in addition to singing praise to God. So Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When I think about singing, I look at it from a couple of different directions. First, I think about the vertical nature of our singing. And the idea is that our singing is directed upward. Again, Paul said, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. God is the aim or the object of our worship. The psalmist in the long ago said, O come, let us worship and bow down before the Lord our maker. And so we have the opportunity to bow in the presence of God, to acknowledge his greatness, and to praise him. Think with me for just a moment or two about the vertical nature of our singing, the fact that our singing is to be directed upward in nature. A couple of things I want to just call attention to. First, there is the idea of praising God in our worship through song. There's a great psalm, and Paul here talks about teaching and admonishing one another in psalms. Some of the psalms that we have in our Bible have been put to music, haven't they? Psalm 23. Another psalm, Psalm 148. And in that psalm, the writer uses the word praise about 13 times. And really the idea is the psalmist is encouraging all of creation to join in worship to God. He begins by saying, praise the Lord. Praise Him from the heavens. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, all His angels. Again, emphasis on praising Almighty God. And the reason we praise Almighty God is because, number one, He is our divine creator, isn't He? We owe our very being to Almighty God. Paul in Acts chapter 17 said that it is in Him that we live and move and have our very being. We are, as he said, the offspring of God. Moses said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that we have been made in the image and the likeness of God. We have residing in our temporal tabernacle of clay, the human body, an eternal or immortal soul that will live forever and ever. And so to step back and think about 
the fact that we are praising the God of all creation. We're praising the one who in the very beginning said, let there be light. You can go back and read Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and note in detail what Moses records concerning the creation of the world and the human family. The psalmist in Psalm 33 said, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So we praise God because he is our divine creator. We also praise him because he is our divine sustainer. I think about the fact that God is the one who holds this universe in check. You ever thought about how the world in which we live, the universe, the solar system, works? You ever thought about the symmetry and the harmony with which the universe in which we live is bound together? How's that happen? Not by chance. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that God upholds all things by the word of his power. Paul would say in Colossians chapter 1, in him all things consist. And so God is our divine creator, he is our divine sustainer, and he is our divine redeemer. We praise God for what he has done in bringing salvation to those of us who belong to the human family. Where would we be without Christ? Many, many verses point in the Old Testament to the coming of Christ. The Old Testament was a prelude to the coming of God's only begotten Son. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John affirm for us that the Christ has come. From Acts to the Revelation, we have the divine finger of God pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts we call a book of conversions. Chapter 2 is identified as the hub of the Bible. In Acts chapter 2 we have the birth of the church and some 3,000 people obeying the gospel and being added to that divine body that God promised to bring to fruition. And by the way, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, Paul said that the church exists according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we praise God. And then there is another aspect of our worship as we direct our worship to God. And that is the idea that we magnify him. In Psalm 34, verse 3, the psalmist in the long ago said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Encouragement to magnify the name of God and to exalt him. God sits upon his throne in heaven. You remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. That ought to be our view of God. When we approach him in worship, 
We are bowing in the presence of a God who is high and lifted up. The word magnify means to grow, to become great or important. God is already great and important. But there's a sense in which our goal is to make known the name of God to the world. And in so doing, it exalts His glory. God wants to be glorified, doesn't He? Our preaching, our teaching, the very lives that we live here on planet Earth are done in an effort to bring honor and glory to God. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, Unto Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. And then Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In Colossians chapter, or rather Philippians chapter 1, in verse 20, the Apostle Paul said that Christ would be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. The idea there is the Apostle Paul, in using that word magnified, would emphasize the importance of making a Christ who might be deemed small in the eyes of the world large. A distant Christ from the vantage point of the world seem much nearer. We do that as we worship God in our song service. And so to think that our aim in worship is God. We are not the audience. We are the assembly. God is the audience. And sometimes individuals get the mistaken notion that worship ought to be entertaining. I would grant that there are a lot of byproducts to our worship. And it can literally thrill our souls as we worship God together and learn new truths and be reminded of old truths. But worship is directed toward God. We are edified or built up by our presence together. And then I think about our attitude in worship. Jesus said, God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Again, God is the aim of our worship. Jesus said, God is spirit and they that worship him. The they, as used by Jesus, is the assembly. He said we must, that's the absolute, worship him in spirit. That has to do with our attitude. The heart, the mind, engaged in every act of worship. We talk about the five acts of worship. Singing is just as important as taking the Lord's Supper, Preaching, giving, praying, singing is a very important aspect. And by the way, we don't worship God by proxy. I know that there are some that use choirs and have solos, etc. 
If you look at what the Bible has to say, Paul said we teach and admonish one another. That means all of us are joining together in the song service. In Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves. Again, the idea that we are singing, directing that worship to God, but we're benefiting because we're being taught, we're being encouraged and admonished, etc. So I want to encourage us when we engage in the song service. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding. You have to understand the words that are used in the songs, the meaning of those songs, and then engage mentally in that song service. Sometimes it's difficult to come from the world and set aside all the things that are going on in life and focus in for an hour on worship. But we can do it. We have done it. And we're doing it. But the idea, again, the vertical nature of our singing. There's a second thing I want to call your attention to tonight. It has to do with the horizontal nature of our singing. In this point, I want to begin by talking about how our singing is directed outward. I said a moment ago, we direct our singing upward toward God, but also our singing is directed outward, that is, toward one another. Again, listen to Paul, teaching and admonishing one another. How? In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In Ephesians 5.19, Paul talks about singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The word melody there in the original is solo. And the thrust of the meaning of that term is to pluck or to play. What Paul is saying is the instrument that is to be plucked or played is the human heart. Again, Paul said, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, one of the things that our singing accomplishes as it's directed outward is edification. We edify or build one another up. I'm going to give you some examples of what I'm talking about. I think about the words of Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. When he was speaking to the Ephesian elders while in Miletus. And in that context, he said, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. In other words, it has the ability to build you up, to strengthen you. You ever stop to think that when we engage in the song service, that we're being built up in the faith, we're being edified or strengthened. Sometimes we are reminded of divine truths. Two of the songs that we were privileged to sing tonight, we began with Amazing Grace. We are all the recipients of the amazing grace of Almighty God. Where would we be without God's grace? Paul said in Titus chapter 2, 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man. We're grateful for the grace of God. And we understand that without God's marvelous, matchless grace, we'd be lost. We would have no hope. Another song that we sang, do all in the name of the Lord. Everything we do, as the song says, in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord. Isn't that really our calling card? What is it that makes the church distinctive in the world? The fact that everything we do, everything we say, is governed by the will of Almighty God. Listen, if you would, to Colossians 3, verse 17. Here's the idea. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's the essence of that song. Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Again, emphasizing doing things God's ordained way. Another song that lends to the edification of those of us who are present in worship is that beautiful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. To know that we serve a God who is faithful. The world those who are in the world, our friends, our family members, those that we work with and associate with at school, etc. They may say or suggest that they'll stand by us. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. When I think about God, I think about a faithful God. A God who is unwavering when it comes to His promises. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 talked about how God has given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Every single promise in the Bible you can take to the bank. Whether it be the forgiveness of sins, the privilege of prayer, the hope of heaven, the presence of God, whatever it may be, if God has said He'll do it, if He's promised it, He'll do it. And why is that? Because God is faithful. Another song, the steadfast love of the Lord. The songs that we sing are songs that are biblical in nature, aren't they? What about the steadfast love of the Lord? Is it not true that God loves us? John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, God is love. In verse 19, he said, we love him because he first loved us. God will always love us. I had a conversation a couple of years ago with a lady that, well, a lady that's been a member of the church for many years. She grew up in the church. And she said that she She had the understanding, or she had the concept, that when we do bad things, God doesn't love us. Or because we've lived lives that have not been in harmony with His will, that He wouldn't love us. That's false. God will always love you. 
God loves everyone. It doesn't matter what we do or what we say or where we go. God will always love us. That's not to say he loves what we do if we're living in sin, but he'll always love us. His love is unconditional. Our relationship to him is predicated on our willingness to do his will. God's love is steadfast. There's another aspect of our singing as it's directed outward. And that's the idea that our singing exhorts those who are living in sin. Every time we meet, one of the things that we do is offer the Lord's invitation, don't we? If you wanted to sum up the Bible, it would be the word salvation. God is interested in the souls of people. As his people, we are to be interested in the souls of people. And so every time we come together, we want to give people the opportunity to come to Christ. Sometimes individuals will obey the gospel. And one of the things that is persuasive is our singing. It might be the case they hear a lesson that resonates and as that lesson resonates it brings about conviction or the pricking of the heart, the yielding of the human spirit or will to the will of God, a desire to be in harmony with the will of God. And then we sing that invitation song and there have been people that have stood where you're sitting during the invitation song and tears have flowed down their cheeks because they were convicted by what they heard. And that invitation song is intended to encourage, to arouse, to persuade. The invitation song tonight, Bring Christ Your Broken Life. You ever thought about how many people in our world are broken by sin and unrighteousness? And yet to know that we can bring our broken, battered, scarred lives to Christ and He'll heal them because He's the great physician. I think about the song, Jesus is tenderly calling. We're called through the gospel. As long as this earth stands, Jesus will be calling people through the gospel. Another song that we sing, What Will You Do With Jesus? Time and again we've sung that song. That question was asked nearly, two, well, 2,000 years ago. Pilate asked the question, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? That is a profound question, and it is a personal question. When we sing that song, it is intended to exhort, to encourage those who are in sin to make a decision to come to Jesus. And then another favorite hymn that we sing from time to time, Oh, Why Not Tonight? We never know when our time here will end. Morning, noon, or night. We assemble together for evening services. 
And we sing this song encouraging people to obey the gospel, to come back to Christ tonight. Because as Paul said, today is a day of salvation, not tomorrow, but today. And then our singing is directed inward. And the idea here is that individually speaking, I can be encouraged and I can be inspired. I can profit from singing these hymns. As a matter of fact, sometimes while we're driving, while we're at home, is it not the case that we find ourselves singing hymns to God? And those hymns inspire and encourage, as I said a moment ago. I think about that old hymn, Nearer My God to Thee. James said, draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. Our goal is to draw closer to God. As we sing, we're reminded of the importance of drawing closer to God on a daily basis. The song we sang tonight, he knows just what I need. That song has a lot of power. It resonates in the hearts of a lot of people because there are people who are lonely. There are people who are burdened. And to know that God, to know that Jesus knows just what I need. We might ask the question, how does he know? Because he's omniscient. As Jesus said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, There's not a word on your tongue, but lo, O Lord, He knows it all together. The Lord knows just what you need. And so these are songs that inspire. And listen, I've just touched the hymn of the garment. You look at our hymn book, you can look at some other hymn books, song after song after song. Psalm after psalm after psalm. All of those words have meaning. All of those words are intended to bring honor and glory to God while at the same time inspiring us to live as we should live. I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to sing praise to God. We try to sing our best. We want to do our best in our singing. But we understand God's not concerned whether or not we hit the note. What he is concerned about is our singing. Singing with grace in our hearts to him. Bringing him the praise and adoration that he alone is due. Tonight I would hope and pray that our song service has been encouraging to you. And I hope and pray that as we engage in the song service, not just tonight, but every time we come together, that we will remember that our song service is directed upward, outward, and inward. It's a blessing to be a Christian. Let me tell you what, it's the greatest life on earth. A lot of people don't understand what it means to be a Christian, but to live the Christian life. To live, in a, to live in a world so many uncertainties and yet to be anchored to a God who is absolutely certain. In other words, God doesn't change. 
He will, he'll get you through this world to heaven. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the son of God. Put your faith and trust in him. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. And then repent as they did on Pentecost in Acts 2, verse 38. Confess the name of Christ, Acts 8, verse 37. Be baptized into Christ so that your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. And then just be faithful. Live your best every day, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be, could we encourage you to come home believing that God wants you back in fellowship with him? Why not come home? James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing.